Today we come to Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is an individual lament, and you'll notice according to the heading, even though headings are not inspired of God, that this is a psalm of David, as far as we know. And in this psalm, we find that David feels abandoned by God. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but it's not a nice feeling. If you felt that way, it's a terrible feeling. And it's interesting coming from a guy who is described as a man after God's own heart. So even people who have this beautiful, close relationship with God can at times feel abandoned by God. So it's, it's not just the so-called unspiritual people who feel this way. Even, even the most spiritual people can feel that God has left them entirely. And that's the way David feels, at least at this point in his life. And he's not covering up his feelings. He's, he's not beating around the bush. He's speaking his mind, telling it the way it is. He does feel abandoned by God, and he does say so. So it's important that we learn from David here and see if, if you and I can experience the same movement that we see David moving from, from despair at the beginning to trust in God. That's the progression, the movement that we see in this psalm, which is often the case in individual laments. So let's read these six short verses together. Psalm 13, starting in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 is very short, and there's really uh, a rather simple outline for you today, but it's an important outline, and I'll put it up on the screen here for you to kind of keep this in mind as we go through. So here's kind of the big picture of Psalm 13, three parts, and it's interesting uh, that it's broken up into into two verses for each part. So in verses 1 and 2, David's expressing his feelings of abandonment. He feels that God has entirely left him. And in verses 3 and 4, it's really a prayer. And there's three parts to that prayer we'll look at in a moment. But he's asking God to turn his face toward him, to to come and answer some questions that he has. And then in verses 5 and 6, David's expressing this recovered trust in God. And there's this tone of rejoicing now that he's he's experienced this recovered trust. And so in these verses, David recalls that God's been good to him in the past, and he's sure that God's going to be good to him again in the future. So that's kind of the big picture of what's going on in the Psalms. So let's, let's jump into these, these three main points and, and look at them a little more in depth. So our, our first question from verses 1 and 2 is this, is why did David feel abandoned and depressed. 
that's how he feels, but why is that? Well, he expresses four important points, four reasons. The psalm reveals uh, four reasons why he felt this way. Number one is a prolonged struggle. First reason that that David felt this way, and, and we do it often as well, why we feel abandoned and depressed is there's this prolonged struggle. And, and the first thing for you to note about these two verses in the stanza here is the words, how long? He repeats those words, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And he does that four times. And that is just a Hebrew way of expressing something. It's a very effective way of saying the struggle that's being described has continued for a long time. And it might be the most frequent cause of feeling abandonment. In the short term, in the short term we do not often think this way when, uh, when, when something bad might happen to us. If, it, if it's short, we, we can often handle that. But when, when it drags on and on and on, that's when it becomes very difficult, usually. And we may be unaware of God's presence. We, we could be puzzled about his apparent silence, but we often trust God, that, that God knows what he's doing, he has reasons for his silence, and, and we can try to be patient in the short term. We, we still believe God's there, but it's different when it turns into a long-term thing. It's different when the short-term experience becomes the long-term pattern and we begin to wonder whether God's silence may endure forever. Just as the psalmist is, is asking this question, how long, O oh Lord, is this something that's forever? For the rest of my life? David says, will you forget me forever? So we begin to imagine that the end will never come. And if you can't see a light at the end of the tunnel, that's incredibly depressing. And it can tend to put you in despair. Well, you have to understand a little bit about David's experiences. Why might he be feeling this way? Well, we don't know the specific examples of why David's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, but we do know that David was hunted by King Saul. He didn't know where to go at times. He's constantly running from this man who wants to kill him. He's incredibly jealous, and he was continually on the run. We know if you read the books of Samuel, you know David, particularly First Samuel, he had to uh, continually flee. I mean, he goes to Moab. Uh, we see him moving around in the wilderness of Judea there. He was an outlaw hiding in multiple caves. And at one point, he's even hiding with his enemies. He's, he's hiding amongst the Philistines. <laughs> Surely that would not have been nice. I mean, if you, you, if you had to do that one day, you can handle that. But when it becomes years and years, it gets difficult. And there's a lesson to be learned here that it's not under the hardest trials, but it's often under the longest trials that we're in danger of fainting. I'll give you an example. The first one that came to my mind is Job. When you read those first couple chapters of Job, Job was a blameless man, a very righteous man, a godly man. 
And when Job was confronted with all this bad news, he kept having his, a servant run up to him and tell him bad news. And then, and then waiting in line behind him was his next servant who gave him more bad news. And then the next servant comes up, more bad news, and it's, it's bad news upon bad news. And then before you know it, the last one's telling him that all ten of his children have died. And Job had an amazing response. He, he bore that quite well under the terrible circumstances. But when Job could see no end to his troubles, that's when he sunk. Job entered a very dark, lonely, despairing, depressing time of his life. And he, he just wanted to die. He's like, he was regretting that he was even born. And that's the way it often is. It's it's not under those hardest trials, but it's often under the longest ones that were most in danger of fainting. So there was this prolonged struggle, and that's why he's crying out, How long, O Lord? Well, the second reason David gives in your Bible there is a lack of apparent blessing. A lack of apparent blessing. That's the second cause of depression. So after a prolonged period of time in, in which... The blessings of God seem to be uh, to have been removed. We, we can enter into a dark time, a depressing, despairing time. And I think this is what David's talking about here in that second line in your Bible when he says, how long will you hide your face from me? That's figurative language. And it means, by the way, uh, more than merely being forgotten by God. We, we know God can't forget anything. That's impossible. God never forgets anything. And and so you need to understand, what is the Hebrew talking about there? The idea, to say that the face of God is shining upon us, is just another way of saying that God's being favorable to us. God is blessing us. And so, then if God's hiding his face from us, if if you will, he's... If he's turning his face from you, it just means that the times of blessing have been removed. His favor seems to have ceased upon your life. You say, what, what might that look like? Because maybe you can't uh, imagine yourself fleeing from some king who's trying to kill you. So uh, let me give you some ways that might look like in your own life. Here's some suggested areas in our lives in which this happens. For example... It happens in our family relationships. It it might be that the happiness of the early days of your marriage have have now been replaced by stress. There might be uh, personality conflicts. There might be other difficulties in your family. You might be wondering if God ceased to bless your marriage, your, your children, your family. Your problems may involve children sometimes, sometimes uh, we might remember those early days, you know, they're, they're a blessing. And some, what, what happens sometimes is our children grow up and they, and, and they might rebel. They might be antagonistic. And it seems like everyone else in the family suffers under the inevitable strain that goes with that. But then, but then there's some of you that might be in that empty nest stage of your life. And sometimes empty nesters struggle with the lonely quietness of their life. They, they went from stress to, whoa, uh, now what do I do? <laughs> Man, that's different. Children are gone. Whoa, I, I don't know what to do with myself. And, and sometimes nobody has fun anymore. And we might ask, well, have the blessings of God 
been taken away forever. Those are just a few things sometimes happens in family relationships. Well, sometimes it can happen with our work. We, we feel like God's face is turned away from us. You know, perhaps maybe someone has, has been blessed of God in, in starting a business or, or working for, for someone else. There was rapid progress, seemed to be succeeding. Everything they touched so-called turned to gold. And then they, they enter this middle part of their life. They have midlife crisis, so to speak, right? Happens all the time. And, and so, you know, there's a stagnation, a leveling off. And some people wonder, has God stopped blessing me? It can even happen in church work, in, in churches, where sometimes churches have, have, uh, have growth, uh, maybe in the beginning stages of a church or some point. And then there's this, then there's a wonderful time of harvest ends up giving way to hard times, hard plowing and sowing, a stagnation or a decline. And so churches and Christians can ask, where are God's blessings? It can happen in our spiritual lives as well, where there there may have been years when you you have been growing. There's spiritual victories. You can chart a, a rapid spiritual progress in your life, but then you can go through months upon months where you've got this slump. (laughs) A lack of blessing has continued so long, you you end up becoming morbidly introspective. You you may have, uh, and by the way, at those points, sometimes you could start dredging up past sins in your life and wonder, uh, is is God chastening me for my past sins? You think, well, hey, I confessed the sin, I, I believe God forgave me, but maybe he, he's bringing it up again. Maybe God's holding it against me. And, and sometimes in extreme situations, you might even think that God has abandoned you forever. It's not unusual to feel this way. Many Christians have felt this way. Even the most spiritual ones you'll see in your Bible have felt this way at times. So let's move on to the third reason that the psalmist mentions here is dark thoughts and uncontrollable emotions. So for the third time in our passage here, David asks, how long, O Lord? And, And this time he's thinking some dark thoughts, some uncontrollable emotions. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. When we no longer sense that God is blessing us, and, and, and we might be going through a prolonged struggle, we, what you end up doing, what I end up doing, I've done this, so I'm guessing you do the same as me and the psalmist, is we end up meditating upon our failures. And we get into this emotional mood, this downward spiral. So instead of meditating on the right content to get us, to get us out of these dark thoughts... We, we meditate on the wrong content, which instead of helping us, just leads us into a noisy soul. And so when our emotions take over, it's always hard to get out of this downward spiral. And, and this is because the best means of doing this are actually being taken away from us. The best means are to meditate on the right content. And then we discover we, we can't actually settle ourselves long enough to actually do what God wants us to do. And you get a, you got this noisy soul, and 
You can't do what God wants you to do. Well, let me make a couple points here that, that I've learned from other people. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. A lot of it comes from Psalm 42 and 43, but he, he uses other portions of Scripture as well. But one of the things I learned from him is that some people are more prone to depression than others. It, it, it's helpful to know this, especially if you're among them, and if you know the, the four main temperaments, you'll, you'll probably know it's the phlegmatic, no, sorry, not the phlegmatic, it's the choleric, melancholy temperaments that are more prone to depression. The, the phlegmatic, sanguine kind of people are not likely to enter into these dark thoughts or uncontrollable emotions. They can, but not as likely as the choleric, melancholy people. So it's good for you to be aware, which, which one are you? Lord, uh, Lloyd-Jones, he begins his book on depression by saying that the foremost among all causes of spiritual depression is temperament. And so knowing that you are temperamentally inclined to depression may not cure the depression, of course, but it's an important factor to weigh when evaluating your condition. Another thing to keep in mind is that a noisy soul can actually be caused by not just spiritual things, but by physical factors like illness, for example. If you've ever read Charles Spurgeon, which I encourage you to read a biography on him sometime, if you've never done that, even though Charles Spurgeon was a godly man and was one of the greatest evangelical leaders of his time in London, England, did, did you know that he suffered severe bouts of depression? He did. It's not unusual for godly men to do this. And one of the main reasons he suffered was the, these bouts of depression is because he had gout, which was marked by painful inflammation of his joints and from what I've learned, he also had an excess of uric acid in his blood. All those things combined helped him fall into these very dark thoughts and uncontrollable emotions. And as a result, it just drained Spurgeon's energies. And, and there were times where his doctor told him, you just need to go to France. Get out of England, go to France. <laughs> and he did. Because if you stay here, it's going to kill you. So it's okay to deal with these physical issues. I know for myself, my headaches, for example, the headaches just drain me. And it's, it's very easy to get into some very dark thoughts and uncontrollable emotions when day after day the headaches are just wearing you down. So I, I can understand that. Maybe you have some physical factor that's just... It's a letdown. It just, and often, often stuff can come at you after even high points in your life. The one that comes to my mind is a good example of this is Elijah. The prophet Elijah had this amazing victory on Mount Carmel. God gave him a great victory. Where God sent fire down from heaven. The false prophets were destroyed, and the people of God were able to see that that Yahweh is the one true God, and they should stop wavering between all these gods and worship the only true God. Well, Elijah became depressed after that great victory on Mount Carmel. 
But during the battle, he stood tall, didn't he? It's like he was the only one who was standing tall for God. But when it's all over, he, he sunk to this point in his life where he wanted to die. And he's, he, he's like, oh, woe is me, I'm the only one, and you know, so forth, right? He supposed he's the only faithful person left in Israel. And so what Elijah really needed was some rest and nourishment, which is what exactly God ended up providing for him. Well, the fourth reason that we can enter into despair and depression is enemies. Enemies. So for the fourth time, the psalmist says, How long, O Lord? So again, let me illustrate it with Elijah. When Elijah told God that it would be better for him to die than to live, it was not only the emotional letdown following his victory that that affected him, there was also the presence of his enemies. You remember King Ahab and and Queen Jezebel? uh, You know, they, they wanted to get him, right? Particularly Jezebel. She wasn't happy that her false prophets had been killed. And so Elijah says this in 1 Kings chapter 19, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Did you notice he's talking about his enemies? And, and it's the same way with David here. David knew it was uh, that, that he's being pursued by his enemy, King Saul, who was just relentless. He knew it was, uh, this was going on. And it's why he says here, how long will my enemy triumph over me? How long? So let me ask you, who or what are your enemies? You have enemies, but do you know who or what they are? The Bible says every Christian has at least three enemies, particularly your flesh, your indwelling sin, the devil, and the world. And most of us probably don't have literal human enemies, at least not serious enemies. We're we're not likely to... It could happen, because ISIS has been grooming people here in New Zealand. There's a young boy who's in jail who has been groomed by ISIS, and he is here in New Zealand. So, you know, bombings could happen here. Terrorist events can happen here. We're not that isolated from it. And so, you know, it's not, it's not right for us to think it's never going to happen to us. But if you're a Christian, you need to understand you have one great spiritual enemy who is, who is worse than the human enemies that you could possibly imagine. It's the devil. And the devil, whom the Apostle Peter compared to a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's how Peter describes him. Like a roaring lion. Martin Lloyd-Jones said of the devil, he said, The devil is the adversary of our souls. He can use our temperaments and our physical condition. He so deals with us that we allow our temperament to control and govern us. Instead of keeping temperament where it should be kept, there is no end to the ways the devil produces spiritual depression. We must always bear him in mind. End quote. You do. You do. He is the adversary of your soul. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. 
he will never give up until Jesus Christ throws him into the lake of fire. You need to know that. Resist him, the Bible says. Well, that's a lot of bad news. But this psalm's not all about bad news. So how do we get out of our depression? When you enter into depression, how do you get out of it? Well, if you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress, let me encourage you to do so. And if you have, read it again. I love, I love particularly the part, the whole book's good, but I love the part when Christian is thrown into jail, into prison. He's captured by giant despair. And he's thrown into Doubting Castle. Do you know how Christian got out of Doubting Castle and away from giant despair? He finally realized he had the key of promise. He had God's promises with him all along. And the key of promise was able to open the bars in Doubting Castle, and he was able to get away from giant despair because of God's promises. That's what we see the psalmist doing. So how do we get out of despair? Basically, in, in one short sentence, here's the answer. How do you get out of, dis- out of depression? You need to recover a sense of God's presence. Recover a sense of God's presence. See, God's never left you. Even though you feel that way, and that feeling can be a, a very real feeling, God is always there. And so at the end of Psalm 13, when you look at this, David's obviously gotten to that point. He's recovered this sense of God's presence. Because if you look at it, look in your Bible, he's trusting in the Lord's unfailing love. He's also rejoicing in the Lord's salvation. And he's looking forward to the day when he's going to sing again to the Lord of of his own goodness. He knows God's been good to him. He knows God's going to continue to be good and he looks forward to singing about it. But how did he get to that point? How did David get to that position? You need to look at verses 3 and 4. The turning point in this psalm, this door hinges on prayer. It hinges on prayer, verses 3 and 4. Because in verse 3, he prays to God and he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light out my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So, for the true child of God, there's always some awareness of this truth, by the way, because regardless of how deep your depression is, we may be depressed even to the point of feeling utterly abandoned by God. But the fact that we feel abandoned itself actually means that you really know God is there. Because you can't feel abandoned unless you know you've been abandoned by someone, right? You can't feel that way unless you know you're missing something. And in this case, you've got to know, I'm missing God. So to be abandoned, you need somebody to be abandoned by. And so because we're Christians, we've been taught by God through the Scripture, we know God still loves us. His love's unfailing. It's eternal, forever. And He's going to be faithful to, to us regardless of our feelings. So what do we do? We pray, as David did. We pray. Yes, that can be hard. That can be very hard. And and there's been times in my life where, I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like praying. 
And that's where the Psalms have been helpful to me. I take these individual laments and I use them as my prayer to God because I don't feel, I don't feel like praying to God, quite frankly. I'm, I'm in such depression and despair, I don't know what else to do. So pray. And by the way, this doesn't exclude seeking some help from Christian leaders or somebody who, who might be a professional in some field you're dealing it with. We often need help in order to hang on and begin to work through our dark feelings. But above all, what we need is God. We need Him. We need His grace. We need prayer. We need to pray consistently. We need to pray urgently, especially about these feelings of abandonment. We need God's grace that we would stop meditating on the wrong content so that we can meditate on the right content. And when you do, when you're thinking right thoughts, you know what happens is your feelings end up joining up together. Well, let's look at David's prayer. It has three requests. Three requests of David's prayer here. He says, consider me. Number two, answer me. And his third prayer is that God would give light to his eyes. So his feelings tell him God's turned away from him. (laughs) By the way, it's often dangerous to follow your feelings. So the first thing that that he does is he asks God uh, to do here is to to turn around, to look in his direction again. He doesn't like this feeling. So his feelings are telling him God's no longer speaking to him and is never going to speak to him again. He feels like this is a forever thing. And then notice the second thing he does is he asks God to, to do here is to answer his questions. Answer me, is what the Bible says. Answer my questions, please. I need some answers. His feelings told him that all's lost and his enemies are going to eventually succeed in killing him. And so he asked God to give light to his eyes here now. That's the third request. In other words, he wants to see God, even when it's dark. (laughs) Even though it's spiritually dark to him. He wants to see God. He wants to feel God's presence. And so he asked God to preserve him, to restore him to the full physical and mental health. And God does, at least to a certain extent. And so David ends up recovering his trust in God. You can see it at the end there, verses 5 and 6. And then he, he ends up looking forward to the day when he'll be able to fully praise God for his goodness. So what was the result of God's grace in David's life? How did he get to the... uh, What happened? What's his response? How did God answer his prayer, if you will? Well, David ends up trusting God. Because if you look at verse 5, there's that wonderful contrasting word, but. But. David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. David trusted God. And David's trust, by the way, is based on two things. God is far greater and more infinite than these two things. But notice the two things David focuses on here. He focuses on God's character and God's goodness. So David's trust in God is based on God's character, number one. And and particularly, notice what David highlights here. Particularly, he highlights God's unfailing love. It's unfailing, it's steadfast, it, it's a loyal love, it's, 
if you will, another way of looking at it, it's an enduring allegiance. Why is God this way? Because it all has to do with God's character. God's totally committed to his covenant relationships. And when God makes a covenant, he never breaks it. Always keeps it. And so my friend, you need to understand, God has made a covenant relationship with all Christians. And he's bound to keep that. He is bound to keep it. He will keep it. And he is keeping it. And David's encouraged by God's character. He was also encouraged to trust in God because God is good. And by the way, God is always good. And David could trust God because he previously experienced God's blessings in his own life. He talks about that in verse 6 when he says, I will sing to the Lord. Why? Why? Notice what he says. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. God has dealt bountifully with me. God's been good to me. He's blessed me. And I know he's going to do it again. Because that's who God is. He's good. But sometimes we, we struggle. We often struggle. And when God feels absent, let me give you some helpful things. Just These are some things that I've practiced and I've found helpful. So when God feels absent, how do you regain a sense of his presence? Number one, voice your complaint not to people, but voice your complaint to God. Do as the psalmist does here. Take note of all these individual laments you see in the, psalm, in, in the psalter here. So vocalize your experience. Do it openly. Do it honestly. God knows anyway what you're thinking. But there's, there's just something about vocalizing it. But certainly don't go and, you know, and, and tell other people because you're, you're just going to maybe give them a noisy soul. Right? That's not helpful. You say, well, how can I vocalize my complaint to God? Well, there are several ways you could do that. Some people write poems. And if you can't write poems, then just write in a journal. You can pray. Pray the Psalms. For me, that's, that's <laughs> I'm not very creative. I can't do poems. And I'm not very good at journaling. So in the darkest hours of my life, I just pray through these individual laments, like Psalm 13. Number two, when God feels absent, how do you regain a sense of his presence? Well, turn your attention away from self to other people. See, what happens when, when I focus on myself, I tend to increase my sense of isolation. Uh, I tend to increase this feeling of aloneness. I'm just looking at me. And so when I turn my eyes and I turn my, my hands and my work to other people, what am I doing then? I'm bringing them into my world. I'm not isolating myself. And, and it breaks my self-imposed silence. And then I get to see God work in other people's lives as well as my own. Number three, don't isolate yourself. Be with God's people. The last thing you need to do when you feel like, like the psalmist here is to isolate yourself. See, even when God feels absent from me, it's, it's possible to get a testimony of God's presence from other Christians who aren't feeling the same way as me. And, and I can go and I can stand amongst God's people in, in a church setting, in, in a 
particularly in the congregational singing. And, and I get this testimony of God's presence. And, and they're speaking truth into my life, whether or not they, a lot of people don't even realize that. And I can hear the songs of praise to God even when my heart is aching and my heart is silent and I feel God's abandoned me. Godly music has a, a way of ministering, at least to my noisy soul, like nothing else has been able to do. Even, even when my mind is so distracted, I can't even listen to the sermon. The music is so powerful that it speaks to my soul. I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I brought one with me today. Uh, there, was, there was one point when, when I was very discouraged. I felt like giving up. I felt like I, I'm, I'm sick of being a pastor. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of people gossiping and slandering me and, and all the other problems I have to deal with. I'm tired of it. I don't want it anymore. So I just told my wife, I, I'm, I'm running to the bush. I'm going to spend some time alone with God. Please pray for me. And as I was, I was driving down to the Uruwares, I was just going to be alone with God. I was tired of being with people. I was listening to some Christian music, and I came to this song that's entitled, In All Things God Works for Our Good. Let me just read the first verse, because it says, This we know in the journey of life, whether green rolling hills or the deserts bare and dry, in all things God works for our good for those who love the Lord. The chorus says, In the seasons of life, times of joy or despair, victory and defeat, I know the plans I have for you, says your God. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Believe in me. Trust in me. For I am your God. And you know what? At that point, I had to pull the van over the side of the road because I couldn't even see where I was going. I was crying so much like a baby. I couldn't even see where I was going. It was, it was actually dangerous. So I had to pull over and, and, and recover myself. Because at that point, I realized I lost sight of God. I had felt like he had abandoned me. I had forgotten his promises. And when you have a noisy soul, that's what happens. You... You, you meditate on these, all these, the wrong content, and you lose sight. Okay, God does love me. God's working in my life for good. Even this bad stuff is for my good. And I had forgotten that. Well, I knew it, but I wasn't thinking about it. And so the music had done something. God used the music, is my point. Okay? So I encourage you to be with God's people. Go to church. Don't isolate yourself. And number four, you've probably seen these, uh, these signs everywhere. They're the new, kind of like the new fad. It says, keep calm, and you know what I'm talking about? I've got a new one for you. I just made this up. You should make a T-shirt. Like everybody else, right? There's T-shirts everywhere. Keep calm and do this, right? Well, here's one for you. Keep calm and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to trivialize that. Because that's incredibly important. See, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, why? Who is he? He's the founder and perfecter of your faith. 
And we're encouraged as we look to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, at least we should be. After all, he's the one who's gone before us. He is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's also, by the way, the supreme example of faith in the race. And so as you run the race, you, you, not only do you have a founder and perfecter, but you have an example to follow. So how is he the founder? Well, Jesus is, he went first on that path of suffering. He understands your suffering. He can empathize with you in your suffering. And he guides us as our captain to the glory that he's now achieved for us. How is he the perfecter of our faith? Well, Jesus has brought the faith to to everybody who approaches God through faith in him. Verse 3 in Hebrews 12 shows us that Jesus is also the supreme example of faith in the race because verse 3 says this, Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against him so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. To look to Jesus. Why should we look to Jesus? Jesus says so in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Here is Jesus' words. Jesus invites you to come to Him. Who should come to Jesus? All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. So my friend, look to Jesus. The one who understands what you're going through and knows. And so we can cast our care upon him because he does care for us. But you need to understand that Jesus has also experienced abandonment far greater than you can imagine and you will ever experience. Because Jesus was abandoned by God the Father. For the first time in all eternity, the Trinity was, was somehow shattered. Their, their perfect community and fellowship was shattered when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Because in Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Well, he knew the answer. But even when you know the answer, you st- we still ask the questions it was because of sin your sin it was your sin that put the nails through jesus wrist it was your sin that put the nails through jesus feet it was your sin that caused god the father to abandon jesus for three hours he bore that cup of wrath the hardest thing he'd ever had to do And so, my friend, if you're feeling abandoned by God, understand there's one who's gone before you who's felt the abandonment like no one else could ever possibly imagine, far greater than you'll ever experience. He's been there. He's done that. He did it for you. And so if you're feeling abandoned by God, I can't tell you when that emotional oppression is going to lift. I can't tell you that. But it will. It's not forever. It will lift. And so that that curtain of despair is going to rise. And and when it does, behind that veil, you're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. He's always been there, but you may not feel that way, even though he, he has. He's been with you and he's loved you. 
all the time. Which reminds me, I want to end with a poem that many people are familiar with, but nevertheless, it's beautiful. Footprints in the Sand. Here's the poem on the screen. One night I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. And across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me, and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before us, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in my life. This really bothered me, and I questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why in times when I needed you the most, you should leave me. The Lord replied, My precious, precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you during your times of trial and suffering. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And that ends the poem, Footprints in the Sand. I can tell you that's certainly the case in my life. Those times when you feel abandoned. You're not. (laughs) Jesus the one who said he'd never leave you and never forsake you, is there. He hasn't left you. And there's there's good that's being accomplished even in those darkest hours of your life. So, my friends, don't don't lose sight of Jesus. That's our problem. We, We do lose sight of Jesus, and we start to meditate on the wrong content. So my... My exhortation to you, my friends, is somehow, somehow keep looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He set the example for you. Follow him. Keep following. Even, even, even if you can't see him, still believe he's, he's there. <laughs> even when you can't, it feels like he's not there. He is there. And you will find that God's grace is sufficient. Let's pray.